Today as we continue this teaching series on praying and fasting, I invite you to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew, your first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. Several years ago, there was a mother who was uh, getting ready to put a, a pie she was baking into the oven when the telephone rang, and it was the high school, telling her that her teenage son had a fever. She needed to come get him, bring him home. After she hung up, she calculated how much time it would take her to get to the school and back, and she said it's perfect, so she went ahead and put the pie in the oven, left. And when she got to the school, uh, her son had gotten worse. He was hoarse, he was sweating, he was trembling, and the nurse suggested she take him to the, to the doctor. And uh, she did that. The doctor examined him and, and came out and wrote a prescription, said you need to get this filled right away, take him home, put him to bed. So she drove home and she got her son in bed and then she left to go to a drugstore in the mall to get the prescription filled. She went in, got it filled, and as she was walking out, she remembered that pie in the oven and she was a little bit frantic, so she rushed out of the mall, got to her car, and the door was locked as it should have been. But her keys were hanging in the ignition. She called her son. Now, he could barely speak, couldn't get out of bed. He told her to go back into the mall, one of the stores, and find a wire coat hanger. So it tells you how old her car was. And uh, so she goes in there. And have you, when you think about it, there are not a lot of wire coat hangers in stores anymore. So she goes in and, and she looks in several stores and finally in the back of one rack she finds a wire coat hanger and she's rushing out and as she gets to the curb she stops and she's looking at that wire coat hanger and she says, I don't know what to do with this. And she begins to cry. And so she starts praying, you know, Lord, you know my, my boy is sick and he needs this medicine and the keys are locked and I don't know how to use this 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 coat hanger Lord, please send somebody to help me, and I need them now. About that time, an old beat-up car stopped right in front of her. And uh, a young man in his 20s gets out, really long hair, full beard, looks rough, wearing a T-shirt and ragged jeans, and he's walking toward her, and she, she moves over in front of him and holds up that wire clothes rack and says, do you know how to use this? And he stares at her. And he says, where's the car? And, and so they go to her car, and she's absolutely amazed at how quickly he he's unlocks her car. And as soon as that door opens, she, she gives him a big old hug and says, thank you. You're God's answer to my prayer. You're a good boy. You must be a Christian. And when she said that, he kind of pushed away and stepped back and said to her, no, ma'am, I'm not a Christian. And I'm not a good boy. I just got out of prison yesterday. She hugged him again and said, praise God, he sent me a professional. <laughs> Sometimes God surprises us when we pray, doesn't he? And too often we want God to do it a certain way and God has other things in mind. During these five weeks, we're learning about fasting and praying. Last Sunday, we talked about fasting. Today, we're going to talk about praying. And in particular, this morning, how to pray. Some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to prayer. 
And I want to begin very, very briefly by just sharing with you a couple of things that are, that are negative, if you will. The don'ts. Don't do this when it comes to prayer. So you have a place in your notes that's inserted in your bulletin to, to fill in some blanks and jot some thoughts down. So I encourage you to do that. But the first thing that we don't do when we pray, if we're going to pray the way Jesus wants us to, is, is don't pray like the hypocrites pray. Now look in Matthew chapter 6 at uh, verse 5. Jesus says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. So how do they pray? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men, be noticed by others, draw attention to themselves. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And the, the word translated reward there means their, their reward that's in that moment. That's all they get. That's the only thing God's going to do in their life in response to that prayer is other people are going to notice them. That's it. God promises them nothing beyond that when they pray because the focus is on them, drawing attention to themselves, getting nothing else from God. And so God says, when you pray as my disciple, as a follower of Christ, don't pray like the hypocrites. You, you don't ever pray because you want people to look at you and think, wow. It's, it's, not, it's never, never, never to any extent about drawing attention to yourself, about how spiritual you are, how good you are, how, how well you pray. None of that. Don't, he said that's what hypocrites do. Secondly, he says don't pray like non-believers, those who are not followers of Christ. Look at verse 7. It said when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. And the word repetition, meaningless repetition, is this idea of babbling on and on and on and on. For they suppose, he continues in verse 7, that they will be heard for their many words. It's this idea that uh, you're trying to talk God into something. You're, you're trying to persuade God. You're trying to make a deal with God, make a bargain with God. You're, you're trying to coerce God, manipulate God, browbeat God, just, just say stuff and, and God will just give up you know like some some parents uh you know a child will just hound you to death right and sometimes you just give in or maybe it's some, some friend or somebody at work and they just they just they're just constant they just hound you to death and and you give in just to get them to shut up god says that's how non-believers pray that's that's a prayer that has no faith don't don't pray like that you're not trying to persuade God. You're not trying to talk God into something, manipulate God. That's not how people of faith pray. Don't pray like the non-believers. So how do we pray? What, what, what are the do's, the things we're supposed to do? Well, the first is obviously be, be sincere. Go back to verse 5 again. When he says, don't pray like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners so that they may be seen by Men. The focus there is on the phrase to be seen by men. See, when you're, when you're sincere, sincere in your praying, you're not worried about other people and what they think of you. A sincere Christian prayer isn't focused on what others are thinking about you. It's, it's, it comes from your heart, and it's, it's not worried about all these other things to be seen of men. That's, that's, that's not it. Ron Dunn died a few years ago. He, he was well known among pastors, a conference speaker, author, a lot of writing on spiritual issues and prayer. 
And he tells about being at a conference on prayer one time. And that morning he got up from his hotel room, went downstairs in the hotel restaurant to eat breakfast. And when the waitress brought him his eggs and so on, he bowed his head, you know, to say grace, say thanks. About halfway through his eggs, this, this couple came over to his table to talk to him. And they asked him if he was Ron Dunn, and he said yes. And the man said, you know, when, when you came into the restaurant, I told my wife that it was you, but I wasn't certain. And the wife said, well, I told him that we would know it was you if you said grace over your food, and we watched you. When you bowed your head, we knew it was you. And Ron Dunn said after that, he said, now every time I pray in a restaurant, I'm not sure if I'm praying because I'm afraid somebody's watching or if I'm really talking to God. <laughs> See, the, the very way we judge and evaluate other Christians sometimes creates problems. Now, 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 if someone is sincerely praying in a restaurant over meals, and I, and I do that most of the time, that can be a witness. But I, I got to tell you, when you're praying, even if it's saying grace in a restaurant, your purpose is not to speak to somebody else, even as a witness. Your purpose is simply to talk to God and nothing else. That's a sincere prayer. And it is subtle. It is so easy for us to make prayer about other things. So if we're, if we're not careful, we're talking to God, but we're really not. We're talking, you know, we're, we're talking to those around us. It's, it's kind of like people at the dinner table, and they're, they're kind of talking, but they've got their fingers furiously working the text messages and other things on the on their smartphones at the same time, and there's really not a focus. A sincere prayer. It's about God. It's about Jesus. That's it. The, the temptation is for us to make prayer a spiritual status symbol. And so we're, we're talking to one another, and if we're not careful, we can begin to exaggerate how much we pray. Because it sounds good if we say we pray, and it sounds bad if we say we don't as a Christian, right? How many times has someone told you something and you said, I'll pray for you, and you walked away, and that was the last time you thought about it? Because it sounds really spiritual and loving and Christian to say, I'll pray for you. But if we don't pray for them, what happens? That's a sincerity issue. And by the way, just a practical suggestion, sometimes rather than saying, I'll pray for you, is just stop at that moment and say a brief prayer with them. You can do that anywhere. And, and, and listen, all of us are humans we're going to forget. So sometimes we're going to forget that we promised to pray. That, that will happen. But if you find yourself doing that habitually, then you need to examine why you're saying to those persons, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be praying for you. Sincerity, genuineness, authenticity is important in praying. Not to draw attention, not to make me look any particular why? See, I, I really like what God says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, when he says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You know, approach God's throne in prayer. But usually when we think of God's throne, okay, there's this, there's this image, right? There's this image of a, of a stewer, of judgment, of cold, of, of whoa, whoa, wow, Right? And when a non-believer, a lost person stands before the throne of God on judgment day, that's exactly what it's going to be. 
But when we who are believers come to the throne of God through prayer, and every time we pray, we're coming into his holy presence. Every time we pray, we're coming to the very throne of God. Notice what kind of throne he says it is. A throne of what? What is grace? Talk to me, church. What is grace? Yeah, unmerited favor, love that we don't earn. It's just given. And he says, when you come to this throne of grace and you're doing it the right way, what do you receive? What do you what do you get? Mercy and grace. So why would you not want to come to his throne? Why, why would you be more interested in what others are hearing you say than simply what, what's going on between you and God when you pray? It's a place of love. It's, it's a place of mercy. His, his throne is a place where he says, I want you to come to me, and I want you to come to me so enthusiastically that God says, come with confidence. As a believer, don't, don't come into the presence of God in prayer like a coward, like somebody who says, I, oh, 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 I, God doesn't want me here. I, I can't pray. No, come and say, I know that my heavenly daddy, my heavenly father wants me here. With sincerity. Come openly, honestly, no pretense, no shame, with a pure motive. I mean, moms and dads, do, do you want your kids to come and talk to you? If you love them, you do. And God's love's bigger than ours. All right, here's the second way we pray. Do the second do is, is to focus on God. Now look at verse six. He said, When you pray, Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, some people mistakenly read that and say, hey, you're never to pray anything in public. There's be, you know, all prayers are to be by yourself alone at home, and that's not what he's teaching here. In fact, I want you to think about something. Jesus prayed with other people. He prayed with his disciples and others. Jesus worshiped in the synagogues regularly during his time on earth, and public prayers were part of the worship in those synagogues. Jesus taught us two or three or more together. When, when we're together, part of what we do at times together is to pray. And so you have to take the New Testament in totality. Don't isolate one verse and abuse it to, to teach something that's not biblical. The context, remember context? is always critical to understanding a passage of Scripture. And the context here is people who are, who are praying the wrong way, abusing prayer, because they're praying out loud in public because they want everybody to know how spiritual they are. The focus gets, is, is on the heart and, and why they're praying and, and the purpose of the prayer is to draw attention to themselves. And he says, no, really, really, when you pray as a follower of Christ, it's to be as though there's no one there but you and him. See, in verse 5, Jesus condemns praying to be seen of men, right? And in verse 6, he's talking about prayer that doesn't focus on God. Because when I'm, I'm praying, even if I'm using the right words, but I'm thinking about what others are thinking or hearing, then I'm not focused on God. I'm focused on me. And that's not prayer. When you pray, it's to be as though you and God are alone in that room. 
You're talking to him. Notice he says, when you pray to your father, see, that, that's what you're doing. You're talking to God. You're not talking to the audience, to the crowd. Now, a couple of things, if you want to pray sincerely and pray with a focus on God. One is your private prayer life needs to match your public prayer life. And number two, you're talking to God, not the audience. Give me, let me give you a couple of examples. You ever been in a time when, when we're praying as a group? It happens. It's, it's, it happens. And God's moving and somebody's praying and, and there's just something that touches somebody else and people say amen and, or we join in and, and sometimes I'll even say yes, Lord. You know, you, you're praying with the person that's audibly voicing the prayer for the group, right? Okay. And now it's your turn to pray out loud. You're the one leading the group. If you've done that before, have you ever found yourself wondering, thinking in your mind while you're leading that public prayer, now what can I say that will get an amen? <laughs> what, 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 how can I pray something during this prayer that man, will resonate with them? Where's the focus when we're thinking that while we're leading the public group in prayer? And I've been guilty of that at times in my life. Anybody who's prayed a lot, will, if you're honest, will have to admit sometimes those thoughts run through your mind. If you say they don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> it's human. We're humans. We're of the flesh. We're sinful. Those fleshly appetites we talked about last Sunday. But you see, growing in prayer means I come to grips with that. I understand that. And I suppress that, submit it to the Lordship of Christ, and learn that when I'm praying, it's not about what amens I can get, how it sounds to somebody else, how spiritual it makes me look to the group that I'm praying with, but is my focus on the Lord and simply talking to Him. So that's one example of, uh, of praying in a group where we're praying for the crowd and not in secret to God. Here's another one that's very common in church. We use prayer as a way to preach. Whether it's praying in a worship service or a Sunday school class or praying with your kids at home, whatever group. And all of a sudden, and I've heard it before, the, the person doing the praying, you, you can tell by the, by the language and the pronouns, they're no longer talking to God, they're talking to the crowd. That's not praying. That's preaching. You don't preach to your children, you don't preach to the church when you pray. You talk to God together. If you want to teach and preach, teach and preach. But it's easy, it's subtle for us to shift over. I've, I've done it a, a time or two in my life. Maybe you have, right? See, your audience, listen, when, when, when you and I pray, those that we are praying with are not our audience. God is. It's an audience of one. Because we're all joining our hearts and spirits and souls and minds together to have that conversation with God. And, and maybe if I'm the one praying publicly, I'm leading the conversation, but it's a conversation with God, not a conversation to the group. 
the only reward you should want is the one he says that comes from God. Because he says God will. Heart and with passion. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. We talked about that a moment ago, the way non-believers pray. You know, just babbling on and on and on and on, trying to make a deal with God, persuade God, bully God, etc. Don't make meaningless repetition. You can't understand this verse if you forget the word meaningless. Verse 8, do not be like them. Don't pray that way. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. If there's something on your heart and in your life and it's, it's real and you're praying because it's on your heart and there's a passion about it, there's a burden about it, there's nothing meaningless about that. It's not that Jesus is saying don't make repetition. Some people say never pray for something more than once. No, that's not what he's saying. Don't make meaningless ones. It's got to have heart and passion and, 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 and genuineness behind more than once that's not biblical teaching don't let anybody browbeat you into feeling guilty because you've prayed about something more than once if your heart's in it you talk to god i tell you what i've had conversations with relatives and with my children and my grandchildren about the same thing more than once and i hope if they want to come and talk to me a thousand times about it they do because your father loves you as a throne of grace and if it's on your heart and it's a passion in your life talk to him and he'll never turn you away here's the the last one the last do of prayer make specific requests don't don't just pray in generalities so I, I could do a few weeks just on the lord what we normally call the lord's prayer here this model prayer this pattern for how to pray in verses nine and following look at it verse nine and following he said pray then in this way here's an ex this this and it's all, there's nothing wrong with quoting this prayer saying it together in church but jesus gave this as a model for how to pray an example how to pray. He said, pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I'm asking that your name be revered and respected. I, I, that's my prayer, God, that in my life and in our church and in this world, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that I, we obey you, your will, that, that your kingdom, God, I pray that your kingdom is realized in this world. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, our physical needs. Forgive us our debts, our, our sins, our trespasses. 
Verse 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect us. Do you know that there, there, there are six, or depending on how you break it up, seven petitions in that prayer request? God, I'm praying, I'm asking that your name be respected, be revered. God, I'm, I'm asking for your will to be done. God, I'm, I'm asking for your kingdom to come. God, I'm asking for, the, for you to provide the physical sustenance we need, the daily bread. God, I'm asking for forgiveness. God, I'm, I'm asking that you protect us from evil and temptation and deliver us. Request, request, request. If little Liam, my grandson, comes to me and asks for something, I may or may not give it to him, but I'm never going to get mad at him for asking. (laughs) And Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven... It's okay to ask God to do things. Now, how God answers in His will, that's, a, that's another sermon for another day. But ask. But there's, there's one caveat I want to give you, one, one, one more level of understanding. Did, did you notice that in what we call the Lord's Prayer, the singular the singular is never used. Did you notice that? You ever notice that? It's always the plural. Us, our. Us, our. Us, our. Not me, mine, but us, our. Do, do you know in one sentence what Jesus is teaching in all these verses about prayer? Is that prayer is not primarily about you. How you look, what others think of you. It's primarily about Him, about God, your kingdom come, your will be done, your glory, and us together, others. It's, yes, yes, I pray about me, but if my prayers are primarily about me, there's a level. Please hear my heart, hear the scripture. There's a level, there's a level of selfishness in there. Again, nothing wrong for asking and praying for myself. But but if that's the extent of my prayer, if, if that's the beginning and the end of my prayer, if that's the heart of the essence of, notice in, in, the, in this model prayer, it begins with his name and his kingdom. Because as followers of Christ, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of a kingdom. We're part of a family. For the almost three decades I've been your pastor, the phrase we use is a family of faith. You know, in in the prayer challenge, I've been asking you this week to pray for two people you normally don't pray for who are part of this church. Pray for two different ones every day so that at the end of this week, you should have prayed for at least 14 people in this church you normally don't pray for. Why? Because we need to learn to make prayers about more than just me. The whole purpose of fasting is that self-denial so that life is not just about me and my belly and my appetites and what I want. 
Because as a follower of Christ, we're concerned about the kingdom. We're concerned about the lostness of this world. And that is to express itself in our praying. So make specific requests not only for yourself, but for others. The us, the us, the our, the we. And this challenge you're being asked, and, and, and by the way, thank you so much to those of you who've gone to the blog and read and made some comments. I've enjoyed reading those this week. And I encourage you to do that every day. Visit the blog. There will be a new post each day with a thought, something to encourage you and a reminder of what we're doing. And, and, and let me know how it's going. We can encourage one another. But in this five-week challenge for these five weeks, we've, we've finished week one, so we have four weeks remaining. Fast one day a week. Each of the five weeks. You choose the day. You choose the type of fast. It's been interesting to read the comments on the blog. People fasting, you know, you know, uh, several of us, you know, food fast, some uh, fast. A lot of fast from media, by the way, this past week, a day without media. Some combining the two. Mine's a combination of a food fast and a certain, certain other uh, partial fast. You, you choose. And last week we said it was submission to the Lordship of Christ. So taking those things that we were dealing with and submitting it to the Lordship of Christ. This week, this week the purpose of the fast is whatever you, you feel God leads you to fast for. You choose. Rather than me telling you what the purpose of your fast is, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit, let Him tell you, and you fast whatever day, whatever time fast, you fast for the purpose that God puts on your heart this coming week, one day. If you want to fast more than one day, great. But asking everybody to fast one day. And then to pray. As I said already, pray for two people every day in this church you normally don't pray for. But I want to add another thing to the prayer this week. In addition to praying for two people you normally don't pray for, two different ones each day so that by next Sunday you have prayed for 14 different people again. And remember, if you do that, then at the end of five weeks you will have prayed for 70 people. How beautiful will it be if several hundred of us do that? But here's what I want to add to it today. You have a bulletin. If you didn't get one, get a bulletin on the way out. And each day this week, in addition to praying for those two people, Choose two things in that bulletin and pray for them. It could be any ministry. It could be a group. It could be anything that's printed in that bulletin. Keep that bulletin in your Bible with your quiet time and look it over and pray about two things that are described in that bulletin every day this week, two different ones. So on Monday you pray for these two things. On Tuesday, two different things. On Wednesday, two more things. And what's the purpose of that? I'll just be above board. What's the purpose? Teaching us to pray about things that don't normally come to our mind. You see, if all we pray about is what's in our mind, that's, 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 that can be a little bit self-centric, and, and, and we need things that push us beyond ourselves, that, that become more kingdom-focused. Many of you get prayer lists from your Sunday school class, so that prompts you to pray for others, Right? Your bulletin can prompt you to pray for your church in a way you never pray for your church. Pray for things in this church you never pray about. Kingdom-focused praying. Prayers bigger than you. Very practical, simple tool that can help us grow in our prayer life. And then the blog. Now, so let me wrap it up. 
prayer, do you know what prayer is? It's asking. Prayer is asking. In the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, a lot of asking. Correct? A lot of asking. Prayer is asking. Next, prayer is an action. It's an act. It's something you do. When you ask, you're doing something. It's an action. It's a behavior. It's not just an attitude. Sometimes people think, well, I have this attitude of prayer. I get that. I have that. I understand that. But if your prayer life is just an attitude of prayer, the reality is you're probably not praying a whole lot. Prayer is more than an attitude. It is actually talking to God. Now, I can talk to God in my heart and my mind, yes, but I do something. More, it's an attitude, yes, but it's more than an attitude. It's an act. It's an action. It's asking. God wants us to do that. So God is speaking to different hearts this morning. I, I don't know what God has said to you, but you do. God does. And whatever God has said to you, it's because he loves you and whatever he has said is important. It's important for you. And I'm inviting you to respond to whatever God has said, to act on it, do something with it.